Well, good morning. How are we? Good, good. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at the last uh, 10 verses or so in Romans chapter uh, 3. And as you're, you're turning there, I, I'd just like to make a, a statement. I, I was thinking, I don't really have a, like a Super Bowl Chiefs kind of edgy Super Bowl sermon this morning. Um, but I do want to take credit for the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. Um, so I just want to make that really clear. Maybe you've heard this before, but my wife and I are originally from Southern California, and I just want to make an argument here that uh, we are the reason the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, uh, because uh, my wife and I were from Southern California, and before I went to seminary, um, if you remember, the Los Angeles Angels won the World Series. So this was back in like 2002, 2003, uh, and then we moved uh, to Michigan uh, to go to seminary, and uh, just, I mean, I don't know if this is just luck or what have you, but the, the Detroit Pistons won the NBA championship while I was in seminary. Coincidence? I think not. And then uh, after seminary, we went to Colorado for a couple years. And the uh, now they didn't win a championship, but the Colorado Rockies, the baseball team, were in the World Series while we were in Denver. Uh, coincidence? I don't think so. And then we moved here. And uh, you remember the, that team, the Royals? Yeah, they, they won the World Series. And who's in the Super Bowl this morning? This afternoon, thank you. So you're welcome. So uh, just want to, uh, and also we have an announcement. We're actually moving to Cleveland to start a church because you know why. So there you go. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Uh, Paul actually talks about boasting. I'm not trying to boast this morning, but facts are facts. So we've been walking through the, the book of Romans together and looking at this letter um, of, of grace, but also we've spent a lot of last few weeks because of the, the book, Paul's argument is it's got, been kind of dark. It's about our sin and about evil and about why the world is the way it is, but it's going to make a shift this morning, and I'm really excited about the shift that's going to happen. So let's read Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, um, or uh, it'll be up on the screen for you. So Romans chapter uh, 3, 21, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for this grace this morning. Thank you that we are not justified. We are not right before you by anything we could do. Anything we could say, any promises that we can make, any will, any desire, any morality, religion, irreligion, there's nothing that can make us worthy in your presence, but it's by sheer grace, it's by sheer faith in the Son of God that we could stand before you this morning. 
And I know for many of us, we've heard that many times over. Maybe we grew up hearing that, but I pray this morning that it would have a new weight this morning. It would, it, would, it, would, it would drop on us in new and fresh ways, that it would change our hearts. It would change how we see you, how we see the world, how we see others, how we treat others. So, so do a work, God, in, a, in our midst that, that only you can do by the power of your spirit. So help us now to hear and receive what you have for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes uh, I think about the word but, B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, kids, come on. But you find yourself in a, in a conversation, and, and it's, it's horrible news, right? You, you just hear the, the worst news that somebody got sick, and then as the conversation kind of goes, that, but then you see, hear this but, there's some good news next to it, right? There, there's a surgery that, that we can do. There's a medicine that we can, can take. We find ourselves in, in these conversations often, and this, this word is a powerful word because sometimes word because it changes the trajectory of the conversation, now, other times it doesn't go well. Maybe you're, you're doing a good work at, uh, you're doing a good job at your workplace and they do a job performance and it's like, hey, Ryan, we love what you're doing, but we're going to have to let you, let you go. And, and as I was thinking about that this week, this is kind of the way in which Paul is, is taking the book of, of Romans. As he, he began th- this book a few weeks ago, as, as we've been looking at this with, with grace and this grace for the nations and grace for us, that his whole work was, was all grace. It was all God's mercy. It was a gift. There was nothing he could do. It was, it was just something he found himself caught up in because of what God had done um, in his life. But then f- from chapter 1, 18 till, till really this verse, it's gotten kind of dark. That we're all hopeless, that sin has fractured the world, fractured our lives, that we all have a limp because of sin, because of evil, that we all deserve judgment, we all deserve God's, God's wrath, and yet here's where Paul picks it up in verse 21, and he says, but now. And I think it's, it's some of the, the most powerful, important phrasing in all of the New Testament, maybe all of the scriptures, probably right next to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, as Paul kind of lays out this teaching about that we, we, we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've been carried away by our own selfish desires and our inclinations, and then in Ephesians chapter 2, 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I think if you put Ephesians 2 and you put Romans 3 next to each other, it's the most astounding, important teaching of the New Testament to understand what we're caught up, to understand what God is up to, to understand what Christianity really is about. And Paul says simply, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this morning, I want us to, to look at this righteousness that Paul is talking about and why this, this turn has happened and why we went from, from everyone's loss. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew who has the scriptures or a Gentile who's worshiping all kinds of pagan gods or you're religious or irreligious or moral or moralizer, the older brother, the younger brother. It doesn't matter. There's a grace that has come. There's a righteousness that has has come. And so I want to look at that word just for a few moments here this morning. I want to give kind of four lessons about righteousness, four things we can learn about this righteousness, and then also one implication about boasting that Paul talks about, because I think it has a lot of implications for us, for you, for me, for our lives. Um, And so before we we jump into these lessons, just a a couple little foundational words about this word uh, righteousness. Is that if you go back to chapter one, if you remember when we started the series... 
Paul says this in, in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so this righteousness has been revealed in the gospel. It's not something you and I could, could come up with by reflection or examination. It's actually been revealed to us, shown to us by God in the gospel itself. There's no way we can make ourselves right, pure, holy, right before God by anything you and I could do. There's this, this, as some has called, this kind of alien righteousness that comes from us, to us, that is received by faith. Now, what's interesting, as Paul uses that same word in 321, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. If we kind of look at the, the, the word itself, righteousness, and we look at the word uh, justification or justify, they're the same word in Greek. And so righteousness and this word justified is the same. It's, it's simply a legal standing before God. That we are declared justified. We are declared right with God by faith. That, that we can stand in his presence, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own purity or holiness or good deeds or showing up to church or reading our ESV study Bibles or whatever we do, but by the work of Christ on our behalf. We can stand in his presence and the gavel has been, would come into the court of law and the gavel had said, innocent, debts, Paid, you are freed. So righteousness and justification and justified are almost exactly the same word. So we can read it as, but now a justification from of God has been made known. Okay, well, um, a righteousness revealed, excuse me, but now a justification from of God has been made known to us. We are justified by his grace. So we can say we are righteousness. By his, his grace. Anyway, think about it. We might think about it again. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So this word justified and righteousness are the same word that, that, that we can almost use them intertwined. The standing has come to us. It's, and, and I love this word righteousness. I know when we read it, we kind of just think, well, I'm not righteous, and that just sounds really highfalutin. It sounds like someone who's perfect or, or someone who, who's holy. But, but, but this righteousness has to do with kind of validating a performance or a record that has happened. Think of a resume. So when you go and you get a, a job, what is a resume? Well, a resume is simply this. Here's all the skills. Here's all the experiences that I have. Here's my background. Here's my education. I think I would be a good fit for your organization to do the job. And then you say, accept me, accept me, accept me, right? Please, you know, I have everything that, I, that you need, right? Hoping everything that's going to qualify you for that, that job. So, so in a sense, what we're talking about when we talk about righteousness is God qualifying us to stand in his presence, to, to know him, Accept me, accept me. What, what am I going to do, God? What do I have to do? Do I have to say enough prayers? Do I have to show up to church enough times? Do I have to be a good person? How can I be accepted? How can I put my resume on the table and you accept it? What has to happen? Now, every religion and philosophy worldview has some form of this. It's our moral or spiritual religious record that's supposed to show us worthy before the gods or the deity or, or whatever. 
And even if we're a staunch atheist, there's still this record we still bring before people and say, well, look at the way I vote or look at the way I recycle or look at the way I take care of the environment or look at how I try to be a good person or take care of animals or, or whatever it is. There's always something we're trying to put before others and say, accept me, accept me, accept me. But what Paul is saying here has changed human history then and now, that a divine righteousness has been revealed, and Jesus' perfect record, his performance has been given to us. His record has been given to us. That he was the only one that could put the resume forward and say, it's impeccable, and I have three references. Father, Son, and Spirit. Oh, that's cheesy. But anyway. But he's the only one that could pull it off because he was the perfect spotless lamb. He was the one without sin. And yet we find deep in our souls and our hearts often trying to say, accept me, accept me, accept me. I, I love the Heidelberg Catechism that we, we read th this morning. As if we'd never sinned, as if we've always been holy, as if we were sinners. Like That's how God sees us already by faith. It's Christ's record. Christ's righteousness covers us. And yet, what do our hearts do? I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. I can never measure up. So let's look at a little more deeply these four lessons of righteousness revealed to sinners like you and me. So lesson one, righteousness comes by one object of faith. Righteousness comes by one object of faith. 22, did you see it? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So, so the object of belief or faith is what, what matters, that, that everyone has faith in someone or something. The, the Jews were, as we've kind of looked at these last few weeks, the Jews often were putting their hope and their faith in simply being Jewish, like we're the chosen ones. We, we, we were chosen long ago. We have the scriptures. We have the promises. We have the covenants. It doesn't matter if we're trusting in God. It doesn't matter if we're living holy lives or what have you, but it's just by, by, by simply being the chosen ones that we're in. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Because remember, we, we've said a few times that these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people are coming into the church. And so the Jewish Christians are coming back into the church. They've been pushed out because of, of persecution, and now they're coming back, and the Gentiles are coming in, and now you've got this fight. Because they're going like, these Gentile monsters who don't even, have the old, don't even know the scriptures, don't even know even the promises, they're accepted? And they're saying, yeah, if they're in Christ, they are. Because the, the one equalizer is that we're all, sins and fall, we're all sinners and fall short, but the one equalizer is faith in Jesus Christ. Because I know in this room, there's, everyone in here is not pure. There's not all Chiefs fans in here. <laughs> Amen, right? I, I know who you are. We know who you are. We'll have counselors after the service. But, but, but the great unifier that, that always brings us together as New City Church and the great unifier isn't our politics. It's not our, our socioeconomic standing. That's why I love uh, New City Church. We have people that are on government assistance. We have people that are doing really well. It's not our ethnic identity or, or background. We, we have people from all over the place. It's not even our, our denominational background or, or history or heritage. The ultimate thing that unifies us is our one common faith in Jesus Christ. And that was a challenge for the people in Rome 2,000 years ago. It's still a challenge for us today. But that's the thing that brings us uh, together. But it's a righteousness that comes by one object of faith, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. Now, you guys remember Larry Walters, right? In uh, 1982, 
um, <clears throat> he was a, a guy, and I, I grew up in, uh, as I mentioned, Southern California, and there was a guy in 1982, his name was Larry Walters, and I had to look this up again, because I remember hearing the stories, and it was hilarious, where he um, took a lawn chair, <clears throat> and he filled uh, helium balloons and tied them to the lawn chair and uh, said, I'm going to fly. And, uh, and so he got these, these lawn chairs and these helium balloons, and he ended up 16,000 feet in the air uh, with these helium balloons attached to a lawn chair. And planes at the Long Beach airport where I grew up were actually diverting uh, around because they saw this guy in a lawn chair with all these balloons. And, uh, and they were just like, I don't know what's going on. I could imagine just the, the call into the, uh, the flight deck. There's a guy with balloons. We're not making this up. Um, but, but as Larry's going up in the air, his faith is so rooted in those balloons, I, I can imagine. He's probably saying a lot of prayers, just, oh, God, please don't pop, don't, don't lose air, because I'm 16,000 feet in the air, and this is going to go bad quickly. Um, but, but, but when you think about this, this kind of analogy of, of what the object of the faith is, it's not how much uh, faith he had in those balloons. Like if I, I got to muster up a little more, maybe he had a little bit of faith, maybe he had a lot of faith, maybe more of his faith was in the lawn chair or the, the research that he did that he could actually do this. It, it doesn't really matter. But the, 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 the principle here in the scriptures is that it's really the object of the faith, of the faith that matters. And that's ultimately Jesus Christ. Because we get a lot of weird Christian, I don't even know what you call it, where it's like, well, you're not surrendered enough. You're not, you don't have enough strong feelings. You're not charismatic enough. You don't have visions of God enough. You're, you're not obedient enough. But that has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about. It's the object of your faith that matters. And we'll get into some more implications of what, why that matters. And, and the Bible's all about particularities, not generalities. And that's why his argument is, is guys, th- this doesn't matter if, you have, if you're a Jew and have all the scriptures or a Gentile who worship pagan gods. The reality is, is your, the object of your faith found in Jesus Christ and his work? Because that's where the righteousness comes, by faith. That's where it's given to you freely, graciously. His record becomes your record. It's the great unifier. I think there's a, a, a second lesson that we can learn about righteousness is that righteousness doesn't come through our actions or efforts. You catch that in verse, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's an interesting phrase. You could say it this way. Um, you could translate it this way. You lack the glory of God because of sin. So all of us are made in the image of God to reflect God, to know God, to take on some of his characteristics, to, to, to be loving and gracious and kind in the way he is. And, 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 and so beginning in the scriptures in Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God. But because of sin, we now no longer reflect that image. So instead of living for God, right? I mean, Genesis 1, 2, 3 is a great uh, story to understand what happened to us. We had everything we needed in the garden. We had God. We had each other. We had creation to enjoy, to walk in perfect shalom and harmony with God, right? And we were to reflect this God out in the world by our work and the things that we do and, and, and by getting married and having children and doing all of these things that God commanded us to do. But because of sin, we no longer reflect that image. It's very imperfect now. Now, that image isn't taken away. But what Paul is saying here is we no, we no longer glory this God. We no longer make much of this God in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our action, in our sin. We've lost the glory. That we can't live in God's presence and enjoy his approval any longer because of, of sin. So instead of glorifying God, we choose 
what, what the scriptures often say, and actually Paul says, we choose vain glory. So instead of God's glory, making him central, making him paramount, making him ultimate, we choose vain glory, which is just a selfish glory that's really about glorifying, honoring, lifting up ourselves, everything that we do, everything that we are. It's, it's what Paul says in Philippians chapter, uh, or Philippians chapter 2. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This, this, this word of rivalry or conceit it, it is vain glory. It's empty. It's always about rivalry because it's about me. It's about me getting ahead. It's about my success, my deal, my life, my whatever. So instead of making God central and God supreme, we, we choose ourselves. So Paul even uses the example of Christ to say, look at Christ who laid his life down for the benefit of others. Who, who in, in the perfect glory of heaven had everything he needed, yet he stooped down to us as an example and laid his life down even for his enemies. And he says, go and do likewise. Be servants. Don't seek vain glory, but seek glory by laying your life down for the good of others. And so the, the, the lesson is that righteousness is not by our efforts or by our actions because there's no amount of efforts or actions we can do to be, to be right in God's presence. Like we're not righteous because of what we, we do, like the Heidelberg Catechism say, said. It's, it's by faith because we know we all fall short, right? Like that's such a gift to us that that's in the scriptures. Like we need to come back to that often because I think sometimes we just give it lip service and we just go, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I'm a sinner, but I'll fall short of the, the glory of God. There's no one in this room. There's no one in the next room. There's no one in Kansas City, no one to the ends of the earth that does not fall short of the glory of God. You haven't met them. But there was one who hasn't, and his name is Jesus. And so we look to him and his record, the way he glorified the Father perfectly and didn't seek vain glory the way he laid his life down so there's nothing i could do to gain back the righteousness and glory that was broken by my sin but i think there's a, a third lesson that we can can learn as well and, and that righteousness and i love this is, is a free gift it's a free gift Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You, you, you've heard me talk about this a lot, that it's really difficult to receive gifts. It's kind of a weird thing that happens. Um, sometimes when, have you had this happen when, like at Christmas time or, or maybe it's your birthday? Somebody gives you like a really, really nice gift. Like I'm not talking about socks. Um, you know who you are. Um, but this like really lavish gift. It's, maybe it's like really expensive and you're just like, like almost you can't, re like what, wait, what? Like you can't do that. Have you had this happen? You guys need better family and friends. You're just like, that's never happened to me. I'm still getting socks. Um, but you know that pony you always wanted and then you get the pony and you're just like, you're just going like, can I write a check? Can I give something back? Right, it's this weird thing when, when a free gift comes, we, no strings attached. We just, we don't know what, what to do with it. And I think the gospel, because it is a gift, it's free. It's, sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Because the, the natural default mode of our hearts and our souls is, what do I owe you? What, what can, I, can I do? Is there anything? Is there a check I can write? Are there deeds I can, can do? There's no way you could have done this for me and not expect anything in return. But righteousness is a free gift. It's not something I have to work up. It's not a feeling. 
It's not an intense attitude or surrender or seriousness, right? Like, I see this all the time in Christian circles. It's like, well, you're just not serious enough about God. So that makes me a Christian then? Well, well, you're just not, you know, you don't take it seriously. It's like, actually, I take it really seriously. I just don't take myself that seriously because I know who I am. Right? And so it's, well, you don't show up to church enough, or you don't do this enough, or you don't read enough, or you don't, fill, you don't share your faith enough. So there's all of these things that we tack on rather than seeing it as a gift. Just come open-handed and receive it. Come with, with nothing. There's no strings. It's undeserved. It's unconditional. It's unwarranted. It's a gift. Just receive it in faith. I love in, in the Old Testament because sometimes we think like the New Testament is the only one that talks about grace and, and faith and gifts and all this. But if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses is, is reminding his people that when, when they, God's people were going to come into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7 verse 6, he says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So that's pretty impressive. So God says, out of all the people on the face of the earth, Israel, you're going to be my special chosen people. But, but catch this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. He's, he's just saying, it's not because you were awesome and there's a lot of you and you were really powerful. He's like, actually, you're the opposite. You weren't impressive at all. I mean, they had all kinds of pagan armies with you know, metal and, and you know, weapons, and they had like slingshots and sticks. But it's because, verse 8, the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You can translate in the Hebrew, he loves you because he loves you. Gift. Because I'm faithful, I'm keeping my promises on your behalf because you're not good at keeping your promises. Amen? We have a whole history, just read the Old Testament, not very good at keeping our promises right? Twelve disciples that walk with Jesus, stinky at keeping their promises. Like, are you kidding me? We get so high and mighty and self-righteous, and it's like, well, if I was walking with Jesus, holding his hand and watching these healings and hearing his teaching, I wouldn't have stumbled like that. Not me. Oh, no. Really? They saw Jesus ascend into heaven, and it says some, faith, some believed and some doubted, <laughs> right? Like, what does Jesus have to do? I got a cousin. He, I've seen him do that. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not that impressive. Yeah, I see people come to life all the time. I mean, I know he raised people from the dead, but I mean, that's, I, I know my uncle, he, 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 he can do that, right? So, so he says, I love you because I love you. No strings, undeserved. It's not because of who you are or who you know. It's a gift. And I think... Um, if you go to, uh, I just want to mention chapter 9, too, because I think it draws us out even more. It says in 9-4, in same uh, story. It says, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. God just disarms them and says, hey, the reason you're winning the battle is not because of your goodness or righteousness. It's because I'm with you and I'm faithful. How often do we look at ourselves and we say, well, it's because I've done good that I'm getting good. 
But good things are happening in my life because I've done these things. I've, I've kept the commands. I've, I, I'm, a, I'm a smart uh, a Christian, and, and, and I'm not like those people. And yet God wants to disarm us. Paul wants to disarm us and say righteousness is a free gift. And, and I think I, I, I've hinted at this, but inside and outside the church, we, we kind of think the Old Testament is just law and obedience. Like God's just really mad, and it's just like don't, me- don't mess with that guy. He will destroy you. And that we don't see any grace there, and, and we don't see any, any love there. So we just think it's, well, it's, it's God saying, Israel, keep my commands or I'm going to destroy you. But there is grace and mercy all over. If you take time to read the Old Testament, that's not the picture you're going to get. I just read two verses right there, right? The Ten Commandments, so you, you hear me say this all the time, Exodus 20. It doesn't begin with do these things. It begins with I redeemed you and saved you from Egypt. Now, in light of my redemption, go and live a life worthy of me. So, so there's grace and mercy and love in the Old Testament. And there's grace and mercy and love in the New Testament because the God of the old is the same God of the new now revealed to us in, in Christ Jesus. So the Old Testament where these future promises, there's this Messiah who's coming. He's going to redeem us and restore us and bring us the ultimate promised land. But now in the New Testament, these promises are revealed and they're fulfilled in Christ. So your responses just come with open hands it's free it's free now when i say that some of you go yes yes amen pastor i I love this i you know i've heard this my whole life i wish my uncle larry was here to hear this but yet if you follow the trail of my life and your life often it's the opposite of what was just said here we live with insecurity. We live with, am I doing enough? When those feelings aren't strong, we go, where is God? He must not love me anymore. When I sin, I feel like a failure, and I guess I'm not even a Christian anymore. How can I still be sinning? How can I still be doing this, whatever this is? I feel like I should be farther along. Well, I, I would want to encourage you and submit to you this morning that if you are in Christ Jesus, Christ's righteousness has been given to you. It's as if you have never sinned, that when God looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees his perfect record, not yours, because your record stinks. And if you understand that and believe that, when you fail and you fall short and you sin you can run to Jesus not away from him and just like the father and the prodigal in Luke 15 he has open arms just waiting for you yeah you did make a mess of things yeah you were sleeping with the pigs for a while you squandered the inheritance but I'm throwing a party for you because you're home and that's where I want you to be that's the Father. That's the love of the Father, and it's a free, free gift for us. And, and I think it's important because, because if we understand that, that it's, it's a free gift is that when doubts come and they creep in, you're not going to look to the intensity of your faith or your feelings, but you're going to look to the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, and you're going to stand in him even when the feelings run dry and the intensity isn't what it used to be after camp because we all come down the mountain, don't we? But nobody wants to talk about that part, right? Everybody had the high, you know, the mountaintop experience at camp, right? Some of you was in college at campus ministry. It was like, man, I was so close to the Lord. I mean, we were just frolicking on the campus, and he was just so close, and he just read my mind, and I read his, and I had half the Bible memorized, right? And I, I only committed like one sin after that in college. I mean, it was just great. And then like real life happens, and you get a job, and you start having kids, and you get married, and you're like, this is a nightmare. 
And what happened to our long talks in the night about theology and God and grace? And now it's like real stuff. And you're going, God, where are you? And we suffer and we lose some things. And yet the reality is God hasn't gone anywhere. It's the object. I'm still here, right? I didn't go anywhere. I love you. I laid my life down for you. you. We look to him as this gift. Don't look to the feelings. Don't look to the situation. Don't look to, to whatever your thing is, but receive it with open hands. And then lesson four. Righteousness is faith in a specific work. Faith in a specific work. Now, we, now it may sound similar to the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, but notice the way Paul gets very specific in verse uh, 24 uh, to 26. And you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one whose faith in Jesus, who has faith in Jesus. So so Paul gets really specific and says our faith, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, but it's also the work on our behalf on the cross. That Paul's not saying just put your faith in this nebulous man who came 2,000 years ago as a rabbi, as, as a teacher, but put your faith in the God-man who was sent forth as a, a what? A propici- excuse me. <laughs> propitiation for our sins on the cross. In other words, his blood for ours. And so propitiation that I can't say is basically God's wrath is turned away from us. That God's judgment, God's wrath, God's anger deserves to come to us because of all that Paul said for the first two and a half chapters of Romans. We all fall short of the glory of God. We, we deserve condemnation. We, we deserve judgment. But what happens on the cross is that his wrath is turned away because of the provision of the one, Jesus Christ, that the place where, judge, the, place where the judge takes our judgment. The creator God, the redeemer God, actually is the one who stands in the gap for us. So instead of us having to experience the wrath of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God, the judge takes our judgment day. It's what we call substitutionary atonement. It's one of the most beautiful, glorious doctrines, teachings of the scriptures. God takes our wounds. God takes our sin upon himself because no one could stand no one could stand in god's presence because we have a sin problem we're not holy we couldn't stand before holy god and yet the holy one comes and lays his life down for us so the the righteousness is faith in a specific work that everything's been taken care of been done away with because of jesus and his work on the cross and that's why paul can say that jesus is just and the justifier because God's justice is seen in the cross because God has to be consistent of his character and his nature. So he doesn't brush over sin and evil. He doesn't just go, yeah, that's fine. Right? I mean, who would want to worship a God like that? Right? You see all the evil in your own heart, but you see all the evil in the world and all the abuse and all the, the pain and the struggle and, and all that and just go like, God doesn't seem to care, but actually he does. He was taking all of that on the cross. That, that no one's going to stand. No one's going to get away with God's character. His nature will not let, let us get away with it. I'm doing something about it. That's what makes him just. But it also makes him the justifier because he does something on our behalf. 
He loves his glory and us so much that he was willing to lay his life down to turn away the wrath of God that all of us could, could never endure. And he said, I'm willing to do that for you and for all sinners. So he's just and the justifier. He does both simultaneously. He doesn't just say, well, hey, good luck. <laughs> it's a mess out there. He comes and dwells among us. He lives among us. He climbs up on the cross for us and resurrects to new life for us and promises to come again for us. A lot of us in this, this room and our, our parents, and, and maybe you know, you're praying someday I'll, I'll become a parent, or maybe you've seen good parents. Or, and if you are a parent in here, we're, we're all need God's grace in this, believe me. But, but I think of a, of a good parent, there's kind of this, this sweet art and balance of, of kind of correction and, and discipline. Like, like I want to do that as a, as, a, as, a, as a father. Like there's things my, my kids do that aren't right and that are sinful and I need to correct those and, and kind of teach them like here's right and wrong and here's kind of what God wants. But at the same time, I want to be so full of grace and compassion that there are times where we say, you know what? Not that we are okay with your sin, but we have to kind of overlook some of those things and be patient and loving in those moments. And if they know that we love them and we're patient, it's not because we hate them that we're disciplining them. I mean, take away an iPad, you would think, you know, the world just ended. But it's because I love you, bud. Because that behavior isn't what God would want of us, right? So if God's just one of those things, he's going to be really hard to find it, follow. If he's just wrathful and angry all the time, guess what will happen? We're going to go, man, I, I can never measure up. And yeah, we can't. But if we see his mercy and his love on the other side saying, not only can you not measure up, but I'm doing something about the fact that you can't measure up, my heart is melted. And I pray our kids would see the love of the Father through that when we live in this kind of balance of, hey, there's still accountability, yet there's love and mercy that none of us can stand. We all need the grace and love of God. So, so what does this, this faith look like? I, I love the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a British pastor um, about 30 years ago. He sums it up this way. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself. And no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. And he rests on that alone. Do you hear what he just said? Some of us have a future version of yourself that doesn't exist yet, and that's the person that you're going to be happy with or believe that that's the version God's going to love you finally. When I just get over this hump or this sin or this anger problem or this whatever it is, that somehow maybe that version God will love me, right? Maybe he'll be proud. Some of us have brought that in because of maybe our own fathers, our own mothers, that we can never measure up, right? If we could just be like this, if you could just be like your brother, you could just be like your sister. That's one of the good gifts of being only child myself. I didn't have the comparison. So I just compared myself to all my imaginary brothers and sisters, but that's just a whole other counseling session. But anyway. But, but what he's saying is don't look to those things. Don't look to a past version of yourself or a future version of yourself. Your hope is found ultimately in Christ. You are justified. You stand clean. You stand righteous. You stand right before God because of his righteousness, not your own. 
Not a future version of yourself. Not when I get things together. That's so freeing for us each and every day. Do you believe it, church? And I know I believe it in my head, but often I need to pray that it gets deeper in my heart. That it becomes more of a reality. It becomes more of how I respond to things. Not just, yeah, 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 okay, grace, yeah, I'm free, okay. But when I actually sin and I, instead of running to Jesus, I run away from him. Instead of confessing that to my brothers and sisters, I'm so ashamed, even though I've already been outed by the cross, that I can't even tell them what I, I did. I would have the freedom to go, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I did. And I know I'm still accepted in Christ. So last year, just an implication about boasting. That might sound kind of odd, but, but notice the way Romans uh, 3 ends. <clears throat> then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul kind of is like landing the plane about all this talk of righteousness and justification and standing before God, the one object of our faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a free gift. And he says, hey, I just want you to know all boasting has been banished, by the way. doesn't matter if you're a Jew who's circumcised or a Gentile who's uncircumcised, whether you have the scriptures, whether you don't, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you lived in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, whether your parents were this way or that way, whether you went to school or not to school, it doesn't matter. All boasting has been pushed aside. Now, why is that important? Because I think what boasting does is it essentially defines who you are. It's where you draw your self-worth and identity. It's what you boast in. It's what you celebrate. It's what you talk about, right? We don't typically use the word boasting, but it kind of becomes the central thing, right? Like nothing wrong with rooting for the Chiefs, but when, when your emotional state is, is, is fractured by whether they win or lose, maybe it's becoming idolatry. I'm just saying. Like if you're swinging at your wife or your kids because, you know, Mahomes threw an interception, let's, let's check our hearts, Right? Does that get too, too close? I don't know. N- nothing wrong. It's a common grace, right? We enjoy that. But, but when, when our job becomes this thing that if it doesn't give me what I think it should give me, I, I become emotionally distraught. That's not what work was meant to do. So he says all this boasting is, is, is thrown out and your identity is not to be found in what you do or who you are or your success, but ultimately your boasting is to be found in Christ, in Christ alone. Chapter 3, one of the most astounding um, anthropological understanding of our heart in such a mess often and why our culture is a mess because of the lies that, that it tells us about ourselves. Notice what Philippians 3 verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Like Paul saying... It's coming, and I have every reason to boast about all the things I've accomplished. I'm a Jew of Jew. I'm religious. I'm articulate. I'm intelligent. I have everything going. But notice what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss of the sake of Christ, rubbish, dung. That's what the Greek says. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and, he found, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may retain the resur- attain the resurrection from the dead. There is so much here we could spend all day going through this. But here's at the heart of what he's saying is, I've had success. I've had everything and lost everything. I have all the knowledge in the universe. I could do circles around you with my theological acumen. And yet, where I draw my confidence, where I boast is in Christ and his righteousness, knowing him. Where I find my worth, my value, is knowing him, his life, his death, his resurrection. But everything in our culture goes directly opposed to that. You're not skinny enough. You're you're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You know, just buy these. I just had this funny, and this is just confession time, and I think it's funny because it's silly how stupid I am at times. But I remember years ago, I bought one of those ab things, the like electrical ab things. I'm not even joking. That you just strap it, strap on your abs. You know what I'm talking about? And you're supposed to have six-pack abs like in six minutes a day. I bought one of those. Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? I wish it was in my garage because that thing hurt like a mother and it did not work. But, but all the lies, right? If you just have sin, I was, you know, I was just recovering from seminary, had some seminary weight, just looking for a quick fix. Just don't judge me. You have exercise bikes in your garage right now. Don't judge me. That have dust and they have clothes hanging on them. Anyway. <laughs> All that to say, he doesn't boast in any of those things. They're rubbish. They're worthless. But where my worth and value and boasting comes from is Jesus Christ. The object, the center of my life. Like Paul was this impressive guy. I think he's just a great study on, on, on humans. It's like he did all these amazing things, and yet he never talks about his ministry and how awesome it was and all the churches I planted and all the things he says. No, no, no. The only thing that matters is boasting in Jesus Christ, not all the things I've lost or all the things I've gained. Eh, that's fine, but it's all going away. So what's the implication about this, this boasting? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. Is that one, you know, boasting causes all kinds of human divisions. Is that we, we kind of find our identity and worth in, in all kinds of things. And so our confidence becomes about being better than other people. That could be racially, it could be monetarily, it could be success, it could be whatever. That's where human division comes from. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more religious than you, right? But the cross in Christ is a great equalizer. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Care what color your skin is? I don't care how much money you have. What what I want to boast in is Christ. I want to find my confidence in Him. I, I think there's also denial. <clears throat> if our if our confidence comes from race or ethnicity or status, we're going to be blind to the evils and flaws of other people, right? So we're going to say, well, it doesn't matter. They, they walk on water, right? No matter what. And so we can never be honest and and, and have tough love with people, right? If we don't know who we are or know who other people are, we're just going to kind of glaze over that. Some of us grew up in homes like that. We never addressed anything that was wrong or evil or wonky. We just said, oh, that's fine. But the cross kind of outs us all. It's the great equalizer. 
I think anxiety as well. I think w whenever we boast in, in something, when that's threatened, our fundamental, fundamental security is threatened. Anxiety about the future, anxiety about you know, just who I am. Am I, am I measuring up? Am I good enough, smart enough? Am I have enough status? Is the ministry going well enough? Am I a good dad or husband or, 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 or sister or friend? A am I really measuring up? And we become anxious over those things when they're taken away or things aren't going well. We're boasting in the wrong things. We're boasting in the wrong things. But the gospel gives us these new freedoms through his righteousness, through justification. It's not just this dry and dusty doctrine, but it fills us with awe and wonder and gratitude. I don't have to prove myself anymore. You know, that's the greatest gift. Not to prove myself of being a good pastor or a good dad or a good hu husband like that. You can't live like that. That takes way too much energy. And it doesn't mean we're, we're, we're callous about those things by any means, but when my center is Christ, when my boast is ultimately Christ, everything else flows from that. And my wife can, she's honest. She knows I'm flawed in more ways than Sunday. But when my center is in Christ, often I am a better husband, right? Christy, on those like small moments. I'm a better dad on the small moments, right, Noah? Like four minutes a day. But, 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 but it's not about being that, being that, whatever that is. There's a beautiful freedom that comes. When denial comes, we can accept criticism and be honest with ourselves and with others because we know our true nature. We know that we all fall short, but grace has covered us. Like when you get gathered in city groups, you can be honest. Crosses out at everybody. There's not, we're not going to be like, oh my gosh, what? You sinned? How did that happen? Right? That's, I mean, Andy and I can attest, we're pastors. Believe me, there's nothing we haven't seen or heard. Believe me. I'm trying to think, Mur murder? Have we had murder? Maybe, maybe not. But, right? We've all been out. That's the great gift of the gospel. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to perform anxiety. You can face the future, whatever your future, sickness, depression, whatever you're walking in right now, there's a great confidence that comes through the righteousness of Christ, that we're okay, he's with us, right? We read this morning in Psalm 90, Lord, give us a, a heart of wisdom, help us count our days and know they're numbered, right, Bill? You know that, right? They're numbered, and I don't mean that, I'm not mean that because you're old, what, what, I, what I mean, no, seriously, Bill has told me this many times over, he says the gift of getting older is you realize how sweet grace is, Right? Like when you're 30, oh, grace is awesome. But when you're, you're getting older, you go, man, God is so good. Right? It's a gift of getting older, counting our days, knowing every day is a gift. None of it is owed. None of it is deserved. None of it is earned. So whether the Chiefs win today or lay an egg, we're okay. Right, church? I do not want to hear any crying in the fetal position, right? Yelling at your spouse or your kids or, right? Taking off work, whatever. Just, we have a righteousness that comes from Christ. We are justified. We have this, this mercy, this love that no one can take away. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. One of the great privileges every week as we take the Lord's Supper to remind us of these truths in a tangible way um, I was thinking about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 this week, and I love the way he talks about 
the work of Christ in such an all-encompassing way, if I can find it. Um, and he says, you know, this is my body, which is for you. He's talking about, you know, as we break bread together, do this in remembrance of me. He's talking about the past, what Christ has already accomplished. Your past is already covered because what Christ has done in the past. He says, in the same way also, when you took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's kind of a, a present grace that's available to us. Every time we take the supper, remember the grace that is still with us, a righteousness that is still ours by faith. And then he goes to the future. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes or returns. There's a future grace as well. Your past, your present, your future are covered by Christ and his work. So when we break this bread, we, we, we break the bread remembering the broken body of Christ. We dip it in the cup remembering his blood shed for us, covering all of our sins. And we rejoice that God sees us as his righteous, his beloved, his precious, his kids. There's nothing you can earn or do. Just come to the table with open hands by faith. That's how this whole thing works. Now, if there are things in your life that you're just like, yeah, I, I got to lay some things down before the Lord, some sin, whatever it is, just please do that. God would encourage you to do that. But do that knowing he loves us and he's already covered us. He's already done the work for us. So you don't have to come in shame and guilt. You can come rejoicing that there's a God in heaven who forgives the way we take communion is we break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. There'll be two servers up in the front. If you have any kind of allergies, we have some gluten-free, nut-free bread in the middle. You can take that as well. If you're not a Christian, we just ask you to stay seated for now. Um, there's some prayers in our city life you can kind of think on, reflect on. If you want to talk more about what that means to follow Jesus, I would be so honored to talk with you or one of the elders because we all have doubts, and we always say we want to encourage you to start doubting your own doubts. So with that, let us pray. Father, thank you. For Romans 3, I know I didn't do justice to it. But now, but now, is some of the most astounding two words in all of Scripture. You've justified us freely. You've given us a righteousness freely by faith in Christ. It's all his work, all his doing. I pray that would settle in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. You create new joys, new awe, new wonder, new obedience as we think about that and what that means for us. And if we're in here this morning, we're just filled with, with feelings of you're far away, doubt, fear about tomorrow, God, I pray that we would look to the object of our faith and not to those feelings and not to the, what seems like perceived abandonment, but we'd look to the one who's done everything we couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus Christ. Oh God, help our unbelief. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.